Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name's Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we have the one and only, probably one of the first people who started the Linstafluer, the, the LinkedIn influencer game of all time, Colin Cadmus. Nick, why should people listen? Did you really just call it a Linstafluer? It's a Linfluencer. That's what I tell people at parties, and people think I'm really, really cool. No, but Colin takes us through a number of really interesting frameworks for opening cold calls, getting interest on cold calls, and then setting up partner networks with people who sell into the same space as you to have people do your prospecting for you. Three, two, one, Linstafluicious. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Colin, welcome to the show. You know, we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. So first actionable tip is aligning to the millennial buyer. Okay. So millennial buyers, as all the data shows, 
They're not answering cold calls and they're not answering emails. They're not setting up appointments with strangers. Essentially, they don't want to involve a human salesperson in the process before they're about 80% of the way through. And even at that point, they'd rather a self-serve model, right? So aligning to the millennial buyer and a quick actionable takeaway for every SDR, every manager, every AE, regardless of your role, what you can do today to enable millennial buyers to purchase from you in a way that feels more organic to them is documenting every piece of content you've ever said over the phone, ever through email, ever in a demo, ever on a live call. Document that in video. I think a YouTube channel is the perfect way to do it. You can create a YouTube channel, right? If I'm an AE at AirCall, create a channel, Colin Cadmus at AirCall. And I'm just gonna make videos endlessly of every FAQ that I've ever answered, product demos, feature descriptions, Everything you've ever had to say in a sales conversation, document it so it can now be accessible to that millennial buyer who wants to access it without speaking to you. And that can be used to drum up the engagement that eventually hopefully gets them through the door. Beautiful. What's number two, Colin? Number two is stop trying to schedule meetings. This is a mental shift when you're prospecting, okay? The goal today seems to have been somehow shifted over the last, uh, I don't know, 10 or 20 years or whenever I started learning this stuff. And prospecting is what it's called. It's prospecting. It's to find prospective buyers for whatever you're selling. It's not to schedule meetings with anyone in your list. Those are two very different objectives. If you have a list and you're just going through it trying to schedule meetings, that's not prospecting, okay? That's just scheduling meetings. That's all it is with random people. But if you're reaching out to people and the first thing that you say is not, hey, here's what my company does, here's let's schedule a, a meeting, you just want to reach out and try to align on problems, try to diagnose what their situation is and if or whether or not you can solve it. From there, the conversation rolls organically when you find the ones that actually do align, the meeting schedules itself. So change that mental shift. Instead of going into every call, every email that you want to schedule a meeting, go into it that you want to find out if you can actually help this person. If you can, the rest happens organically, or at least it should. Love it. Round us out, Colin. What's number three? All right. Prospecting strategically is about finding arrangements that can benefit you as well as someone else. And this doesn't need to be something that's happening at the senior level of your company on a partnerships team. You can find folks who are selling into the same base that you're selling into and create an arrangement with them where you're going to share warm introductions. When I was selling at single platform to restaurant owners, I did this. I didn't tell anyone on my team I was doing it because it was my secret sauce. But I was cold calling restaurants, selling them a, a menu distribution service. Basically, they put their menu online that went out to Google and Yelp and all these sites, right? So everyone that I called thought I was an internet marketer. So I didn't want to partner with anyone in internet marketing space. I wanted to find someone who had relationship with restaurants that was completely not competitive in any way, shape, or form to me. Found a guy who started an organic pizza box service in New York City, had about 25 clients under his belt, and we partnered up, and he had great rapport with his customers, and we started exchanging some introductions. I ended up landing a 10-location pizzeria off of him, and that went on for a few more months before I eventually got promoted. So try to take the time to actually build those strategic relationships for yourself. You're going to have to prospect them and do all of the things you do to build that, but this can feed your pipeline for a long time to come. Alrighty, Colin. So let's start with number two. So I've always been trained to have a pattern break opener, explain a problem that I solve, and then ask for interest or ask for a meeting directly. But you're saying, hey, stop trying to book meetings immediately. So when I pick up the phone, what should I be saying instead to take myself away from that habit? 
Yes, I think you kind of just said it there that you've been trained to pattern break. The problem is so is everyone else. And so what they're doing to pattern break is really just the new pattern, I think, right? And so that's why when you just look back at sales loft or outreach or just any of the success metrics of these types of approaches, they have steadily declined over the last 10 years. Now, it's small, so it's hard for anyone to notice month over month or, or whatever. But if you just backtrack 10 years ago to anyone who's been doing this that long, the results were drastically different. So the answer is to just skip ahead, right? So instead of coming in with a pitch or, or pattern break, just actually break that pattern and jump right to the question that you have. The first question we always asked was, are you the person who manages the phone system for X, Y, and Z team? If we were calling for the sales team, CS team, whatever. From there, that gave them enough context because they knew we want to talk about the phone system. So I didn't need to go into an explanation of, hi, this is Colin from Aircall. This is what we do, blah, 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 blah. It was like, hey, hey, this is Colin Cadmus. Just, are, are, Joe, do you manage the phone system for so-and-so sales team? Got it. Quick question for you. Uh, and then I'll, I'll give you more information wherever you need. Do you guys integrate right now into your CRM, right? And boom, like you're either going to go down a good path, a bad path. And so it's just about finding those right questions, though, that lead to the right outcomes. Colin, I in preparation for this interview, because this is the morning for me, I was like, I got to wake myself up. So I decided to make some cold calls first thing in the morning to get Love myself it. ready for this episode. People didn't pick up the phone today. So I left a lot of voicemails and I've been like playing around with what I say in a voicemail. And so I'm curious, like, how can I incorporate this strategy into what I say in a voicemail? Am I asking that question? Am I trying to give some credibility? Because my issue with voicemails is I don't have another person to have a conversation with. It's all me. I'm curious what you would recommend I do. So with voicemails, voicemail is essentially, in a way, a new text message, a new email, because it's getting transcribed. So I, I have practiced my voicemails before. Whenever I have a script I'm doing or something, I'll practice it, see how it transcribes and make sure that it shows up nice and try to get that engaging question in there so that it's and, and make sure that you go with an uptone. So you try to get the question mark on the transcription. But yeah, try to get that question in there. And I actually try to leave less information. I think less information is better because, again, back to the point you made before about pattern breaking, when you're dropping your name, your company, your this, it's just a sales call, right? Like you see that transcription, and you're just like app junk. Don't know that name. Don't know that company. It's junk. Right. But if it's just a random person asking me a question, it's almost likely to spark a little more curiosity as to is this important? Do I know this person? Right. And perhaps you can actually uh, uh, trigger a response there. But another tip I'll add is to actually use the voicemail, try to drive them back to your email because it'll be more likely to go back there and check and maybe respond to you that way. So. I want to go to this scenario where I've picked up the phone and I've cold called Armand Farouk, the manager of phone systems for 30 minutes to President's Club. And he picks up, I ask him about, does your phone system integrate with your CRM? And he says, no, it doesn't. What the heck do I say to get him to take a step forward and actually create a conversation? Because I get what you're saying about like, I'm not just trying to pummel him with let's book a meeting, but I want him to demonstrate, I want him to articulate, hey, I'm I'm having this challenge and I want him to know that I might be able to help with it. So where does the conversation go from there? Yeah. So it's literally working down. I just think of it as the conversation funnel, right? So am I speaking to the right person? Do you manage the phone system? Does your phone system integrate into your CRM? No. Oh, interesting. And and how many people on your sales team? You're, you're the leader of the sales team, right? Oh yeah. We've got 30 reps. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I've been managing sales teams for, for 10 years. I love doing it. I'm curious, like, do you, do you guys, when you meet with your reps and their one-on-ones and, and whatnot, are you you guys generally chatting about you know, things like how many calls they make, success rates of their calls, the outcomes of their calls, things like that. Do you find that helpful in managing? Oh, yeah, yeah, we do that. Oh, God, it got it. And, and how are you guys measuring that today, right? 
oh, well, it's not in the CRM, but we could do this. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I used to do something like that back in the day. And how long does that process take you guys generally, right? So you start to break down all of these little pieces and just keep going until you're finding areas of pain where you can then suggest value, right? So if he says something like, oh, it takes my sales ops guy, he exports the file from the phone system on Sundays and emails it to me on Tuesday. Got it. Oh, yeah. It sounds like a hassle, but hey, it works for you, right? Like, but let me just ask you a question. Like, how, how, what would it what would it be like for you if that email just popped in your your inbox every morning and it was also on a live dashboard whenever you wanted to look at it? Like, would that save you guys some time? Would that be valuable? Okay, cool. And and by the way, would your reps use that? Do you think they'd enjoy being able to look at those metrics every day rather than just when they're in that one on one? Might that help them? And you just keep going down the line. And the idea here. And the way I always talk about this, I, I use this this term just called golden nuggets. And I don't know why I call it that. I just came out one day and I've stuck with it. But you're really just searching for a golden nugget. And to me, it's my my former VP of sales used to call it like the you're looking for the key that fits into the lock, right? And you're just asking all of these questions until there's a little bit of that sort of aha moment where you feel that something resonated and you can really dive deeper. And that's your golden nugget. That's your sales, that's your sales angle. And you just go, you go deep on that. And then it, once it gets to the point that they have admitted to you that the future scenario that you've described, you've painted a picture, right? Let me ask you, would this be better if X, Y, and Z? When you've gotten them to admit that that scenario would be better, at that point, it's very hard for them to disagree with making a change. And so it's just about easing through the process at that point. So one of the things that we'll compare cold calling to sometimes is it's like filling up a bucket of water. Every time you ask a good question, you get a good answer, you handle an objection well, you get a positive response, you're putting a little bit of water in the bucket. But then eventually you can have a cold call that goes 20 minutes. And almost always those cold calls are not successful because it's almost like you have this pail of water that's like overflowing. And so how do I know when enough questioning's enough, I've got my golden nugget and artfully transition out of the call into a next step? When it comes to golden nuggets, right? Don't be greedy. That's a simple way to think about it. When you find one and it's enough to sell on, and I think if it's a golden nugget or whatever you want to call it, then it's a reason to buy. That's enough. You've got it. Go for it. Try to close the deal. You don't need to, to your point, fill up that entire water bucket with every single problem. First of all, you're only complicating the sales process because now you have to discuss how you're going to solve all of those problems. You've also complicated the expected outcome because now your CS team has to solve all of those problems. And you've complicated really their whole view of whatever you're selling when you could have kept it simple and really just focused on whatever was that golden nugget that you identified. Assuming again, that that's enough to close the sale for them. And that's where you got to use your judgment. So I've got this golden nugget. Now I'm not being greedy. I'm like, all right, this isn't a good place. And my guess is unless you're in a super quick one call close environment, you probably need to set up some sort of meeting to do a proper discovery call or a proper demo call and what have you. We haven't talked much about tactics for making sure that you can get a time on the books. Do you have any best practices for once you've got that golden nugget, how do I actually make sure that there's time on the books afterwards? Yeah, great question. So assuming the conversation's going well and you've got that golden nugget, which the conversation should have been going well if you've gotten it, at that point, I like to just act like I'm busy and I actually have to jump off the call. And that's the perfect way to tee up a next call because you don't want to go too far down on that call, right? You want to get to a point where all of a sudden they're somewhat interested in the convo. I got to go, man right? Hey, I actually got my next call just coming up on my calendar. So sorry about that. Why don't we continue this chat? I've got a time Tuesday 9am. Does that sound good for you? I mean, it's that simple, right? Just suggest the time and do it. You just have to know when to go for it. 
If they're going to dump off the call, they're going to dump off the call. So that's where my sort of Mr. Nice Guy cap comes off. And I'm going to challenge them because if I got the golden nugget, I got them to admit to me that I can make a scenario better. Well, now I'm going to guilt them a little bit of you saying no, because you just told me of 30 salespeople working for you. And I'm very passionate about sales. And I believe that salespeople deserve the right training, the right coaching and the right opportunity to grow. And if they don't even have access to knowing their own performance metrics that you hold them accountable to and potentially hire them or fire them over, I think that's not fair. Could we at least agree that maybe they, the 30 people on your team, are worth a 10-minute conversation on Tuesday? And I will get that aggressive, but, but remember, it had to get to that point, right? It had to get to that point. I'm not leading with that level of, of aggression, but at that point, if I know I'm going to lose it, well, I'm going to go all out. If you can do it tactfully and have a way to almost flirtatiously like have some sort of humor to it, some rapport, some pizzazz, for me, that's the type of stuff that's always worked. So Colin, one of the things I want to talk about is something you mentioned earlier, which was this idea of strategically prospecting and almost building out like a partner referral network because I work in sort of an interesting space. I sell to law firms and mm, it seems like tough. in the law, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It seems like in the law firm space, there's 8 million different like mini consultants who like they have two or three clients and it's almost like a one man or one woman shop. And yeah. I've actually had success developing relationships with some of these folks before where I remember a consultant came to me, he was working with the law firm and I did a, not to toot my own horn, I did a great job with him and his client. And he kept bringing me more and more business and he kept basically selling the deals for me. And when you mentioned this in the beginning, I was like, oh, if I had 40 of these, this guy, I wouldn't have to ever make a cold call again. And so can you talk me through a little bit about, you told the story in the beginning, but like, what's the process? Because I'm not a VP of sales. I'm a lowly individual contributor. I don't have company-wide authority to set up like true partnerships. And it sounds like you took a similar approach. Can you talk to me like, what the heck did you do and what should I be doing? Yeah. So, I mean, look, we have LinkedIn, right? Which is a tool that salespeople just never had before. I mean, think if you were, if you're selling back in the Rolodex days for the young folks out there, a Rolodex was how folks organized their contact information before digital, but people would have killed to just have access to every business card in the world and been able to just look up people in their industry and whatnot. And so we actually have that today. And it's so underutilized in this aspect because what we're doing, when you think about it all day as an SDR outbound rep, you're coming in, you're just spending the majority of your time calling strangers. So you kind of have no idea for the most part, no real idea if they need or want what you're selling. And also no idea if they're even going to talk to you, right? But there's so many other people out there doing the same thing as you. And when you think about that, all these people making, let's say, 100 calls or emails a day, and then maybe two of them are successful, we're all wasting our energy when we could kind of come together in certain ways. And so that's the way I look at partnerships. And so the example I used before, right, I found the organic pizza guy in, in New York. And what I had done was pretty simple. Like I started Googling or, or not Googling, LinkedIn, looking for folks who sold something to restaurants that were physical items. I wanted physical items that, again, I didn't want to be mistaken as a another competitive internet marketing. At the time in 2012, if you asked a restaurant owner anything, if it had to do with the internet, it was internet marketing. It didn't matter what it was. So it would have all been perceived as the same. So I was looking for people who were selling restaurant supplies or food, things of that nature. And I wanted something small and sort of unofficial where I knew that I had enough clients under my belt that I can make a couple of introductions here or there and, and maybe make some headway. 
and it worked. I, I eventually, I wrote myself a script, by the way. So I wrote myself an email template, wrote myself the call script. So I was able to find some phone number, not a lot. And I built a list of, I want to say 25 to 50 people initially over the weekend. And then I just plowed through them after hours on a Monday, started reaching out to people, sent out some emails, started calling. Eventually got a guy who was willing to talk to me. And he was a young dude. He was like 20 or 21 who just started this pizza box business. And so he had great relationships with restaurants. And what matters in this point, this is the key. If you can't get them excited about your product, this is going nowhere, right? And so that was the keys. I had to pitch him and sell him that what I'm selling is exciting and cool for the people that he's working with, right? And luckily he was a bit excited about it and he thought it was cool. Wow, that is pretty neat. You mean to tell me in 2012, a restaurant can put their menu in one place and it's gonna to go to all these sites? That didn't exist then. You couldn't do it. There was no view menu button on Yelp before that existed, right? So that was exciting at the time. And so it's the same approach, except today you've got way more than LinkedIn, right? There's a new company called Cosell.io, founded by Brendan Cassidy, who was with Jason Lemkin at EchoSign. Great company. And what they're doing is they're letting sales teams ingest their CRM data and then it's going to find the overlaps in your accounts so that you can start to form strategic partnerships straight through this platform and actually communicate with people who have, have those overlaps. And so that's going to be the future of sales and prospecting, in my opinion, largely is going to be focusing on being able to find those warmer introductions. So, Colin, how did you incentivize this guy to set meetings and sell on your behalf? I mean, clearly you got him excited about the product, but like what the heck was in it for him? Yeah, I'm a great salesperson. And so I just helped sell a few of my accounts. His is kind of like we're both trying to sell our customers on each other's product, right? And so he was starting this organic pizza box business. And what I liked about it, it was an easy sale because he was able to cut down their cost by, I don't know, it was like 25% or something. If they were purchasing from this other supplier in New York that most of them were getting from. So like he had a good sales pitch, organic and save money, right? So like that was pretty easy for me. You know, when I had a couple pizzerias, I used to sell the pizzerias all the time. I loved calling those guys because they were just up for spending a few bucks here or there. And so, yeah, that, that was pretty much it. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is what will happen is most solutions cannot be plugged in unless other things are also plugged in. And so, for example, if I'm selling outreach, I need to have a Salesforce instance. And you'll get to these people who are probably on HubSpot, for example. And if I'm a smart outreach AE in the SMB space, I'm best friends with my Salesforce AE. And so you need to find out what are the things that need to happen before your sale in order for your deal to get done. And go tell those people so that they can accelerate your deals. And then for them, you're the next step that makes their solution sticky. And you can provide discounts and all that other stuff. But like, you can't keep throwing dollars at a problem to incentivize someone. The only way you're really going to incentivize someone to sell on your behalf is if they know it's going to make their customers stick around and they're going to get more customers out of it overall. And those examples are everywhere. You just have to put in the time to look for them. And that's where I think it's crazy. People will put in the time to make 100 cold calls a day, but not put in the time to build these relationships. I'll add one last little tip in there that makes a lot of this stuff easier to do is I'm actually suggesting to salespeople these days, try to pick an industry for the long term. Try to pick some general area that you can get really great at. Because as you talk about building social followings, building networks, referral partnerships, strategic partnerships, like all of this stuff is really hard and time consuming. It's long game type stuff. So if your whole career is short games in fintech to martech to sales tech every two or three years, 
it's really hard to get any momentum in these areas. So I think it's a good idea if you can try to pick a vertical of somewhat. If you're in SaaS, try to pick MarTech, sales, something, at least somewhat of an industry, an area that you can somewhat stick with. Beautiful. Well, Colin, we're running short on time here and I've got plenty of notes. We're going to move to the final question. Final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things that salespeople should be doing, but I want to talk about the inverse. Let's talk about a bad habit. The last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? When you send someone a message and you're painting a picture of a problem that you're assuming they have and a solution that you have, and then you're dropping your email link, you run a very big risk of being entirely offensive to them. You have no idea if they recognize that problem, okay? And people don't realize this. When you're on the receiving end of these messages, they come off very different, very different. I'll give you an example, and then all the salespeople listening to this will start to relate this to messages they've sent and how someone could have potentially perceived it. Because in our minds, when we're salespeople, we're talking to people who have these problems all the time that we solve, we kind of start to maybe get into a headspace of thinking everyone gets it, right? Everyone thinks that's a problem. And then there's also the assumption that you're assuming they're not already working on solving that problem behind the scenes, right? And so let's say you send a message to someone and I received this particular message a handful of months ago, just started my consulting business, needed to build a website and had no clue what I was doing, was on Wix and built some horribly embarrassing website. And so I knew it was terrible, decided to take a big step back at that moment and like put proper plans in place to have new stuff put together. So I was working on it, it was all in progress got a message from someone with, it was elaborate, right? With screenshots showing me everything wrong with my website. Now, appreciate the effort. Problem is, if you had just led with a question to just see where I'm at in that scenario, we could have had a very different conversation. I might've actually chosen to use some of their services, but instead I got so offended because I know that website sucked, but I spent a very long time on it myself trying to do something that I was a little bit prideful for, at least for 48 hours before people started telling me that it sucked. The point is like that can really affect someone emotionally in the complete opposite way than you're trying to, right? You're actually not trying to insult them. And so what people don't realize is the level of passion that people have behind these things that you're painting to them as problems. These are their businesses. These are things that they've put a lot of time into building and developing, and you have no idea how they feel about it. And so when you come off by trying to, hey, here's a problem you have, it's not usually perceived the way that you hope it's going to be. And so lead with not trying to schedule those meetings, not trying to tell people they have problems, lead with questions that help you to diagnose if they have them. And if they don't realize it, enough of those questions can somehow get them to realize it. Love it. Colin, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Absolutely. The Modern Prospecting Initiative, my course, which is about a large amount of what we talked about today. It's all about the future of sales and essentially how to sell to the millennial buyer. It's all based off of Gardner's research of what's happening right now. There's tips in there that you can implement today. There's also a lot of it that's really for you to be thinking about the future and knowing what's coming down the line. Some expectations around how AI and automation will supplement more areas of human and how you can prepare to navigate around those types of things and ultimately become what I consider a virtual seller, the person who's going to be able to do all the things we talked about, those YouTube channels, this and that, and just sell to that millennial buyer. Because if you can't do that, over the next five to 10 years, you're going to have no one to sell to. ColinCadmus.com, the Modern Prospecting Initiative. You can sign up today, learn how to sell to the millennial buyer. Beautiful. 
Everybody go connect with Colin on LinkedIn, check out his website and stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free. The link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Colin Cadmus include, number one, optimize your voicemails for transcription. Don't go on and on about what your company does up front. Leave that stuff for later on. Number two, don't be greedy with the golden nuggets. When the conversation's going well, cut it off. Which leads us to number three, if a person wants to have an extended conversation, explain, hey, I'm busy, I gotta run, and get that minute, get that meeting on the books. And then lastly, number four, Find the different people or the different partners that can unblock your deal cycle and use them as referral sources. Nick, how can people help us out? Please subscribe to the show. It means that you can see us more frequently and hear from us. Plus, it helps us out a little bit. So if you haven't subscribed, do that. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.